Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back, folks. Oh, yes. Oh, right. We're back. We're back. Indeed, we are back for another episode of the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. My name is Josh, and I am joined today by my good friend Tux with our first episode of the actual fall 2021 football season. Tux, you made it, dude. You made it. The offseason is finally over. We got a game this week. There's stuff to talk about. We're back in the flow of things. Whether it's you or Noah, we're going to have episodes every other week. Or not every other week, every week. I mean, it, it's just good to be back, right? Oh, yeah. And you know what? I don't have to pretend to be into some weird show that I don't actually like or pretend to care about Nebraska football. Because you know what? Texas football, it's back. It's here. I mean, I think everyone in Longhorn Nation just felt such relief watching Nebraska shit the bed this weekend in week zero. You, We spent the whole offseason having Nebraska fans especially with the SEC news, tell us that we were a dumpster fire. We were terrible. Things were going to be horrible. We're a horrible team. Nebraska is what Nebraska fans think Texas has been the last 10 years. We've won bowl games. We've been to bowl games in recent memory. Nebraska can't say that. So it was really good watching them nearly get blown out by Illinois, I think. Yeah, I don't know why, but I really love shitting on Nebraska. But then again, I don't think there's any team that doesn't right like hell um, even bevo likes literally shitting on nebraska (laughs) and you can't really argue with that man like he's nebraska's just they are what they are and they're good to make fun of they're corn aggie for a reason but uh biggest thing uh we're recording this monday night so steve sarkeesian did his first official press conference of the uh the fall regular season here today and the biggest news out of it, I, I guess, really is going to be that the depth chart is officially out. Uh, Hudson Card is officially announced after spending the weekend. The sort of the news sort of broke that Hudson Card was named the starter for the Louisiana game. Casey Thompson, who was sort of the presumptive starter, not not really the incumbent or anything, but the presumptive starter going into the spring, into fall camp. Losing out to the redshirt freshman in Hudson Card. Tux, what do you think the difference was? What What is it about Hudson Card that made him so much more appealing to Steve Sarkeesian than Casey Thompson? Well, uh, contrary to uh, what people might think, Hudson Card is the more athletic quarterback. Now, that doesn't necessarily matter to Steve Sarkeesian, but I think that definitely played a role. He probably needed a quarterback that can make plays outside the pocket a little bit, can move around, give them a few tough yards when they need it, but not in the uh, Tim Beck, Tom Herman way, but just a guy who can keep his eyes downfield and uh, move around the pocket, you know? And I think Casey did a great job of that, but I think the biggest uh, reason from listening to Steve Sarkeesian and other practice reports, it just seems like Carr did these things that Sark was asking without turning the ball over. And that might that might be the only difference that they needed to see. Yeah, and it sounds like through fall camp and, and even from last year, we heard a lot of talk from the previous staff that they really bought into Hudson Card. They really believed that he was going to be special. So I think 
despite all of that, it, it still came a, as a bit of a shock after the performance that Casey Thompson put on in the Alamo Bowl against Colorado that he wouldn't end up being the starter. But I think we've seen flashes. I think we saw it against, was it UTEP that we actually played last year? Um, Sounds about right. Where Hudson Card got some garbage time snaps in there, and you could just see the athleticism, which, yeah, you're right. We're not going to see that as much in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. He's going to expect Hudson Card to stand in the pocket a little bit more and, and make throws, read the defense, and pick them apart. But, yeah, I, I think Hudson Card's athleticism is is a little more sudden, and I think that makes it really good for keeping plays alive in the pocket, getting pressure, escaping, making things happen with his legs. And you're right, not in the same way that Sam Ellinger did. He's not going to be running QB power right against Oklahoma. We're not going to see him get 12 rushing touchdowns, 15 rushing touchdowns this season. But that athleticism paired with the arm strength and the the touch and the finesse that he's got on uh, riding on his shoulder literally is... I, I think a big difference because Steve Sarkeesian really values that ability to be accurate and be intelligent with the football. And it sounds like through fall camp, Hudson Card was far and away the, the smarter quarterback with the football, less turnover prone, made better decisions, and just has the more natural arm talent. Not that Casey Thompson is necessarily lacking, but I think that just punctuates how good Hudson Card's arm is. Did you ever fully watch that Steve Sarkeesian video about the coaches clinic? I did not because I am a terrible fan. Okay, well, I think it gains, it gives a lot of insight, right? The um, one thing that I picked away from it was that what Sark took away from uh, all of his quarterbacks, right? He even mentioned Keith Price, Jake Locker, what he took away from each quarterback. And the thing he took away from Mac Jones was that a very prepared starter, a guy who can read defenses pre-snap, post-snap, and just know what the game plan is and execute it to a high level. There's something very special about that as well as everything else. And he kind of harped on it that, you know, Mac Jones's preparedness really took the took the offense to another level, right? And you can, and this is what I'm hoping to see from Hudson Card. This is a brand new offense. So I was hoping that after the spring reports of Sark throwing everything he possibly could at the quarterbacks, that the more prepared starter is going to know what to do, is going to be able to um, kind of keep the ball safe. Or That's what I'm assuming. And that that's what I'm hoping to see when we eventually see Hudson Card against Ulala is that, okay, he understands the offense more than Casey Thompson, and hopefully he can execute it better. Yeah, and I think not turning the ball over is really a huge selling point for Steve Sarkeesian in this instance, especially when we have, I, I think everyone knows it, everyone on the schedule knows it, everyone in the country knows it, Bijan Robinson is going to be the feature of this offense. So ultimately, both both guys can hand the ball off to Bijan Robinson, good as fuck, I'm sure. But it comes down to, at that point, not that he's looking for a guy who's going to take over the game, because that's who Bijan Robinson needs to be, is the, the guy who takes over the game for the Texas offense. But you need the guy who's not going to give the ball away, not going to end possessions early for Texas and is going to give Bijan Robinson 
room simply by being a threat with his arm um, is going to give Bijan Robinson, Bijan Robinson, the opportunity to make those plays and make things happen for the offense. So I don't think it's necessarily a shock that Hudson card came out on top. Um, unless you're one of those people who sort of stuck around, who sort of watched the bowl game tuned out and is just now finding their way back. In which case, welcome back. Things are crazy. We fired Tom Herman. Uh, we had to change the name of the podcast and, uh, here we are now. Yeah, and now we're on to Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to move on to some other stuff on the depth chart that surprised you? Yeah, uh, of course. Now I I gotta take a quick sidebar here. Um, this has been become a theme um, through previous episodes. To this point, has been what beer I'm drinking while we're recording. So I just want to update everyone. Uh, sticking with the theme of sour beers, because that is my thing. Um, today's beer is going to be a Wiley Roots Brewing Company Passion Fruit Pineapple Slush Sour Ale with pureed passion fruit and pineapple. So it's pretty damn sour. Uh, another Colorado beer, because that is vaguely where I am located without completely doxing myself. Um, but, I mean, cheers. Cheers. I had some red breast earlier. That was my first time trying red breast. Pretty great for a whiskey, I'd, I'd say. I was going to say, you're you're much more of a whiskey drinker than, than I am. I am... I, I am not... I don't have enough hair on my chest, I don't think, to be able to handle okay. my hard liquor. No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. No, I drink a lot of... Or I try a lot of different beers, don't get me wrong. Um, I just... Uh, I, I'm not into sour ales, but... I'm happy for people that are. Wish I could be into them, but oh well. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone's got their tastes, so don't, no harm, no foul. I mean, admittedly, before I was on here, before I started drinking this, I was knocking back my uh, truly strawberry lemonade. So I, I honestly, I don't see the point in shaming anyone for their taste in alcohol. You like what you like, uh, even if you don't drink. You like what you like. You ha- you've got your your stuff, but... For those of you who are interested, that that's what I'm drinking right now. Um, tastes pretty good. I, I had several of these over the weekend, uh, this passion fruit pineapple slush. So anyone who's a sour ale fan, uh, definitely worth checking out. I don't know if Wiley Roots sells down in Texas, but if they do, it's worth your time. Any of their slush beers really are actually pretty good. Pretty good. Damn. I'm I'll keep burping an eye already. On One sip in. I'm a pretty big fan of passion fruit, so I'll try to watch out for that. Uh, the only recent beer I had that was new to me was um, Youngling, which I'd never had before. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been missing out on this. This is actually really tasty for something that's so popular. Yeah, because what is it? Isn't isn't Yingling or whatever supposed to be the oldest brewery in America or something like that? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's kind of their selling point. And I mean, as far as your sort of run-of-the-mill, easy-drinking beers, it's... I think it's all right. I mean, I'm not someone who goes out and goes looking for your standard loggers. You won't, you won't see me at a tailgate uh, on Saturday with a Budweiser or a Coors or a Miller in my hand. Um, you'd probably find me with another fucking truly hard lemonade if we're being honest. But um, yeah, I mean, I the few times that I've had Yingling, it's it's pretty good. It's 
nothing I'd go out of my way for. I don't, I'm not someone who freaks out. I'm like, oh shit, I'm in a state that has yingling, but I, I mean, I like it. It's, it's good, especially by the standard of just standard easy drinking beer for sure. Oh yeah. And I mentioned it because it just got introduced in Texas. So that's why, uh, I don't think it quite beats out Shiner for me, but yeah, pretty Mm. good, pretty good otherwise. There you go. All right, so back to the depth chart after that little sidebar, which was an important sidebar, to be fair. I think it's a, it's becoming a staple in this podcast, and I'm happy to be having a beer to uh, tell you all about while we're recording. So I think it's something we'll keep going. But um, back to the depth chart. Uh, one of the other interesting ones, uh, Cameron Dicker, Dicker the Kicker, is not just Dicker the Kicker. He continues his role from the end of last season as Dicker the Punter. Isaac Pearson is his backup. Ryan Bushevsky is actually third string as he comes back from injury. I thought that was an interesting wrinkle, and it does give me a bit of concern. Uh, not to go full concern troll on everybody here, but Cameron Dicker, as much as he will always be a legend for that 2018 kick against Oklahoma, uh, he's been inconsistent as a field goal kicker since then. And I don't think that got better when he was punting at the end of last season. So, I'm interested to see what magic Jeff Banks has worked in this situation. You know, I'm not quite sure what to expect from it, but uh, I know that it's going to be a wild and crazy time like we've had with Texas punters other than, you know, that one glorious year of uh, Dixon. So screw it. Bring it on. Hell yeah. And I mean, admittedly, uh, ideally, we will never see Cameron Dicker punt this year. All gas, no breaks. So um it's one of those irrelevant positions, hopefully. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I'm really hoping Xavier Worthy is not unworthy of being starting wide receiver. God, if we could get a guy like that going, the speed that he has, the rave reviews he's gotten, and admittedly fall camp, sunshine pumping, always overstating how good certain players are. But the reviews that this guy was getting in camp were like the next Jerry Judy type stuff. If that's what we can get with better hands, because he's been dropping hella receptions for the Broncos. But if we can get another Jerry Judy on this Texas team, that is going to make Hudson Card's life so much easier. It it would be bonkers to see a guy that fast playing for us for the first time since Devin Duvernay. And even then, half the time we were throwing just screen passes to Devin Duvernay. Well, Duvernay also you know, made quite a few deep passes uh, happen for us. And I'm hoping that's what Xavier Worthy's role is going to be, is hopefully to um, get the ball off of some play action while he's you know, running a deep crosser or something like that and able to take it to the house. Other than that, um, I, I'm not quite sure what to expect from Worthy. Like, I'm a little more... I'm, I'm pumping the brakes a little because last year we had Omeri and... You know, he hurt his knee, and then this year he looks kind of uh, inconsistent and is probably, what, second or third on the depth chart. And then we we just don't know what to make of him. And then now the same sort of hype is around Worthy, and uh, I'm just I'm going to wait till I uh, see it before I believe it. Yeah, and that's probably fair. I mean, the one thing, though, even if he's not necessarily being the focal point of the offense— just having a guy with that much speed being able to get down the field as fast as he can get down the field is going to 
keep a lot of secondaries honest, and I think that's going to be big for Bijan Robinson. Is the less that our opponents can stack the box because they're afraid of our wide receivers, the better it is. the The better our offense is going to run because Bijan Robinson can run absolutely wild uh, with enough space. So um, I think just him being on the field presents that sort of pawn, I guess, in the the, the chess game that is. Uh, offense versus defense in football. I think just his his speed, even if he's not a primary target for Hudson Card, is going to be massive for this offense. I see. So basically like basketball, you're talking about him having gravity. Sure. I don't really watch shooty hoops, but I will take your word for it. Yeah. I mean, just the, just the basic idea is that, you know, like a guy like Steph Curry, he doesn't have to have the ball. He doesn't have to be shooting. But the fact that he's on the floor means you have to change your entire defense to kind of accommodate for him and I, I think it's been a it, it's been a while since we've had a receiver like that um, especially since Colin Johnson was kind of injured in 2019 I believe so really the only one I can think about is a uh, little Jordan Humphrey back in 2018 where he had a certain gravity to him and I'm hoping that's what Worthy brings to this offense but I'm also hoping that Whittington is able to provide Worthy more space by being the sort of underneath guy who's going to sort of be a, you know, uh, short receiving wide receiver who's just able to uh, catch a lot of balls and hopefully make some guys miss. And then eventually that creates space up top. Yeah. And between him, between those two and, and, uh Whittington and Worthy and then you also have Josh Morris the other starting wide receiver I think we've got enough guys with good speed or good experience uh towards enough that's gonna it's gonna force defenses to be honest especially uh after a game or two for Hudson Card where he's able to show off what he's capable of I think I think Bijan Robinson's gonna be able to find himself quite a bit of room as a result of the uh the talent and experience that we have coming out on the uh, wide receiving core um Another, if we, if we stick on the offensive side, another interesting one. I know everyone's been waiting for Jared Wiley to sort of take the reins at tight end, but here we are, a second coaching staff, and Cade Brewer uh, again named the starting tight end against Jared uh, over Jared Wiley. Admittedly, I think a lot of people expect Steve Sarkeesian to use a lot of two tight end sets, so that's not going to be a lack of snaps for Jared Wiley, but still an interesting wrinkle on that depth chart. Cade Brewer listed ahead of Jared Wiley. Yeah, I, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but if it's true that Cade Brewer has regained some of his athleticism from his freshman year, then he's a perfect fit for this offense. He's able to do everything a little bit well. He doesn't do anything great, but he's just he's just a decent tight end. And that's, a, that's all you want to see. I don't know if you want to see that from your starter as opposed to your second or third string guy, but I'm happy to take him if he's here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, not that you were here for it, but I think in our conversation that Noah and I had with Fanatic Perspective back in the spring, I think I had Cade Brewer sort of circled as a potential guy where the past two times we turned over the coaching staff for Tom Herman and for Charlie Strong, we've seen a guy who was sort of either disliked by the fans or just really didn't make a whole lot of noise during his time under previous staff come to life under the the new staff that came in so hopefully that's the situation with Cade Brewer 
if he beat out Jared Wiley because he, like you said, has regained that athleticism that we saw in his freshman year, then that's that's great news for us. That's two capable tight ends because we've seen what a weapon Jared Wiley can be when Tom Herman remembered that he was on the field. Um, so I, I think that's promising, especially with the two tight end sets, like I mentioned. And uh, to, to be able to get a, a senior who can do everything well, you, you might not get stellar play out of Cade Brewer, but you're going to get hit someone who's solid at everything. Um, I think that's big. And I think we've seen it time and time again for at the college level and at the pro level, a reliable tight end is huge for a green quarterback. And I think that's going to be big for Hudson card is having someone that he can, he can sort of lean on in that case. If Cade Brewer is going to be on the field for nearly every snap. I'm not sure if that's someone you want to lean on. <laughs> I sorry, I'm sorry. I still have nightmares of uh, Tom Herman trying to split out Cade Brewer with his 4.9 speed or whatever it was last year. And then, Predictably, it went nowhere. So I'm not sure if I wanted to see Cade Brewer on the field all the time. And hopefully not in two tight end sets where he's playing out wide. But um, no, if, if he's just there as a guy who's primarily a blocker and then eventually is going to escape for a pass in the middle of the field, I think that's perfectly fine for his role. And then hopefully Wiley takes on more and more responsibilities and becomes the de facto starter by the end of the year. Yeah, and I should clarify, I don't mean Cade Brewer is suddenly going to become a deep threat, big play kind of oh, guy, never. but more, more just a guy where it's like, look, if everything else, it, if the play is falling apart around you, Cade Brewer will be there and there'll be a nice little four-yard dump off, get a few yards, make the best of it, and and live to play another snap. That's That's really... If Cade Brewer can be that, I think that is good news for Hudson Card. I don't need him to be what we hope Jared Wiley is or will be. Yeah, and it it seems like uh, youth, athleticism, everything is on Wiley's side, but he just hasn't earned the trust of the coaching staff, and this is now two coaching staffs in a row, and I'm not quite sure what accounts for that, but I'd be interested to find out why what what is holding back jared wiley from being the de facto starter however if we're playing a lot of two tight end sets then yes okay he is a starter so it it doesn't matter too much i believe it's true uh the last stop we're going to make on the offensive side of the ball as far as just interesting things to talk about is not so much interesting that it's surprising uh, but rather the offensive line, Christian Jones, Denzel Okafor, Jake Majors, Junior Angelau, and Derek Kerstetter left to right. Um, feels very familiar to last year if you just sort of flipped it, minus Sam Cosme to a certain degree. It's very – and obviously Kerstetter got kicked out, kicked back out to tackle where he was much more comfortable in 2019, but um, sort of what we expected, but also flipping – Okafor flipping Christian Jones and flipping Angelau from where they were last season. I think that's sort of interesting. Uh, I think I made the joke in our discord several months ago, several weeks ago. I don't know how long it's been because it's still in the middle of this fucking pandemic and time has no meaning anymore. But uh, I think it's sort of interesting that to a certain degree, our offensive line strategy under Kyle flood is basically do everything opposite of what Herb hand did. Well, that's probably not the, worst idea considering how bad Herb Hand got towards the end of his tenure. Not wrong. Uh, 
But I, I'm interested to see Christian Jones become the de facto starter. I thought uh, Carriage played really well at left tackle last year to end the season, especially once uh, Sam Cosme opted out. So if Christian Jones is beating out Carriage, who I thought was pretty good, I'm hoping that bodes pretty well for the offensive line, especially on the left-hand side. Yeah, and especially with a guy with, like Carriage where on the offensive line where you talk about a, a position group where you're really wanting seven, eight guys who could go at any time, and you've got Andre Karich, who we've seen be reliable, admittedly, in li- limited snaps last season. You have a guy like Tope Amade who, through fall camp, was like, well, could he break into the starting rotation? If that's your interior guy and Karich is your your outside guy, and then you've got guys like Hayden Connor coming in as a freshman, which admittedly, no one wants to see a true freshman on the line because you want them to build up some strength. But, I mean, it, it gives some hope that, hey, we're not completely screwed if the first string guy goes down. You have two guys, at least uh, depth-wise, who can who can back up this offensive line, and you don't panic at the thought of them playing. Yeah, uh, I think I mean, we're going to compare to the previous coaching staff a lot, but the previous coaching staff uh, preferred having six guys that they can have that means five starters one rotational guy that can spell the uh, starters and you know that that didn't work that didn't work at all Uh, so this coaching staff strategy is having eight capable players they don't all have to be you know elite guys although it helps if they are but if you have five starters that you feel comfortable with and then three guys who you think you can put in the game and see what they can do then you're in a pretty good spot and I think that's what they're trying to figure out is okay we kind of have our top five right well who are the next three guys is it going to be carriage uh Connor and then someone else or is someone else going to uh or like is it a completely different set of three guys who are going to rotate into the game you know we'll we'll have to see and I think that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines is how they handle the issue of depth on the offensive line because it seems like they have a lot of um, decent players uh, but no real standout and you can create a line of uh, a very good line in fact of decent players as long as they're all on the same page as long as they're all communicating so I think I think that's going to be a two-part challenge for a golf flood creating the best possible line combination of five out of those eight after he figures out who those top eight or so players are real quick to prove your point name one offensive lineman from the 2019 lsu team from the 2019 lsu lsu team. they won best uh, offensive line in Quessenberry? the country name he was one cushionberry 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 okay he was their center which i only remember because he's on the broncos now so i Same. have to know his name but um and then um there's one guy I, I can like picture him in my mind. Um, I remember because he was a he was a guy that came down. Chasen Hines, that's who it is. He came down to Texas and LSU. Texas tried to offer him as a uh, defensive tackle or offensive lineman, and he decided to go be an offensive lineman at LSU or something ridiculous, and actually ended up being pretty good. Right, but in the end. None of those guys were individually, like, stellar. Like, right, right. Lloyd Cushenberry, good enough to get drafted in the NFL as a center. 
Um, and I'm sure some of those other guys are playing in the NFL, but none of those guys were individually in line for individual awards. It's, it's their ability to play as a unit. And that's what I think we're looking for at a Kyle flood this year is to get a bunch of good, not great players to play as a great unit, which is certainly achievable with how the offensive line works in modern college football. Yeah. And if, well, that offense, I think, was more conducive to a good but um, well-communicative offensive line because they passed the ball so quickly. They got the ball out quick. Uh, Burrow made excellent decisions and had the ball out quickly. Um, if that is the same thing that we're aiming to do, then I think that becomes a lot easier. Now, I, I think there's two ways to help offensive line. Um, getting the ball out quickly, obviously, and then creating a lot of like misdirection and motion and play action and stuff like that, like that gives the defense an extra second to think about what's happening. And if if you're able to help along the offensive line, your offense can really uh, go an extra step further. And I think that's what teams have been focusing on a lot lately. And I'm hoping to see what Sark brings to Texas from that. All right, so let's flip it over. We've talked a lot about the offense. Let's flip it over to the defensive side. I think the uh, most interesting spot uh, comes from the nickel position. What do we? What does Pete Kwiatkowski call his nickel? He calls it the star. Um, got Anthony Cook as your starter, the guy who famously announced when he committed that he was going to spend three years in Austin. Here he is on year four. Uh, Jaron Thompson is his backup, and Chris Adimora with 10 career starts at Texas in his third year, he is actually your third string nickel. Like, what do, you, what do you take away from that? That Your guy with 10 starts, more than Anthony Hook and Jaron Thompson combined, he's the third stringer. What does that say about our secondary depth, Tux? I think it's, um, well, they're two very different players, right? Like, Anthony Cook is more of a cover corner who is now going to play nickel versus Adam Moore, who was like a uh, a pretty slim linebacker. So it kind of tells you like, okay, they're valuing something very different from the nickel position from the previous staffs, um, which is kind of interesting to see. Like, okay, um, I, I liked Adam Moore in his previous role, but um, I kind of like Cook in this role as well. Um, but then again, like, Kwiatkowski is kind of uh, an enigma versus, like, when you try to see uh, Chris Ash, right, he had a very rigid starting defense. This is what he, he was going to put at you. He's just going to expect his athletes to out-talent his um, opponents, right, versus Kwiatkowski, who's very much tinkering with the, with the defensive starters, trying to change, okay, who should get more snaps based on the um, opposing teams, trying to completely tailor his defense to the opposing team's offense. And, I mean, they're philosophically very different styles. And I, I don't think it's uh, apparent any more than um, basically what you're seeing at nickel right now because Adam Moore and Cook are two totally different players. But considering where college football has been going for the previous 10, 15 years, I can see the logic. Like, okay, why wouldn't you put an extra cover corner there? Yeah. it. I mean, with the amount of time that the nickel spends on the field, the amount of time that your slot receiver is just 
basically as good or better than the outside receivers, I think it is critical that you have three guys who can play that man coverage, who can be threats in the uh, the, the passing game on the defensive side. So it definitely makes sense to put that uh, extra cover corner out there. But you mentioned that Pete Kwiatkowski has been tinkering with this defense, not doing things the same way necessarily as Chris Ash. Uh, I think one guy that really demonstrates that extremely well is a guy that Chris Ash was super high on. Alfred Collins uh, was an interior lineman in Chris Ash's scheme. And according to the depth chart that we've got, he is actually a jack end, which is sometimes a stand-up end, sometimes hand-in-the-dirt end uh, in this defense for Pete Kwiatkowski. So I think this is going to be a really interesting thing because he's actually listed second string behind Jacoby Jones. But we've seen what Alfred Collins can do, the insane stuff that he is capable of, the athleticism that he shows. Like, Jacoby Jones is playing the same position at 255 pounds. Alfred Collins is listed on the most recent depth chart at 302 pounds. So you're talking 45, nearly 50 pounds of difference playing the same position. Alfred Collins is a freak, and I cannot wait to see what he does in a role that is built for him to pass rush. Yeah. I kind of love the uh, Kwiatkowski troll when it comes to identifying defensive starters. Like, yes, he um, sometimes only lists two defensive linemen at Washington, but actually he was rushing four every single time with two linebackers that would just be rush linebackers. I mean, it's just, it seems like he likes having that little bit of fun on the play chart. Um, and if, if that's how he's going to choose to do it, Go right ahead, man. I don't think anyone's going to oppose it as long as it provides results. Yeah, I I think it's really interesting. Um, I I mentioned it on the last podcast, I believe, with Noah Tux. But my hot take was that we were going to have five – or not five. We were going to have three players, five sacks. This is why – this is having my third drink on the night uh, is going real well. We were going to have three players with at least five sacks this season. That was my – hot take for the season i think putting alfred collins at jack and i can't decide if that makes my chances better or worse because i was anticipating him being a, a threat from the inside instead of on the edge i can still see him playing inside uh, especially on pass rush downs like oh you just move him down and see what kind of havoc he can create um and again it's it's about getting your best 11 on the field um just however it happens it happens you know yeah so i mean i think in the end what really matters whether or not my prediction is right is that pete kwiatkowski finds a way to get consistent pass rush something that texas has struggled with for multiple years even with a guy as talented as joseph osai even with guys like malik jefferson and gary johnson that that was something that tom herman's defenses all seemed to struggle with was ability to to actually rush the passer, pressure the passer, and get sacks. Hopefully, this is an indication that Pete Kwiatkowski has found a way. Uh, The last thing I want to point out on defense, something interesting for the depth chart, starting safeties. You have B.J. Foster, uh, the former five-star in his senior year, finally finding a way to be a consistent starter. Granted, he does have 16 starts uh, in his career, but again, backed up by Chris Adimora, an interesting wrinkle there. 
And then at free safety, you have Brendan Schooler listed as the starter, but Jaron Thompson, the sophomore, is listed as the or for the starter. So I'm sure Thompson's going to get a lot of run. But I thought that was an interesting combination that I don't think many people would have picked initially. No, not at all, um, especially because Schooler was a wide receiver. And, um, you know, I supported. However, this guy wants to get on the field. He clearly showed off some, um, uh, you know, athleticism last year playing wide receiver and if he just wants to move back over to safety where he was actually pretty good at Oregon I, I mean I fully support it it seems like the coaching staff has been raving about him as well and uh, you know what I'm willing to to give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to schooler now um Foster I always thought that Foster was actually pretty good um well maybe not in coverage but I always thought he was pretty good as a player he just could never stay healthy, and that's evidenced by him being here for three years, having multiple, having just as much playing time as he could handle, but he was never quite healthy enough to uh, take that next step. And that, I think, really sucks because he is a very talented player and extremely great athlete, and it, who knows what he could have been if maybe he was taught how to tackle Maybe he was taught how to cover, you know? And I'm hoping that's what happens this year. Yeah, that'd be great to see him really realize his potential under a staff that seems well-prepared to do that at the P5 level. We've obviously seen Pete Kwiatkowski be a successful defensive coordinator at Washington. The record sort of speaks for itself, but uh, it would be great to see a five-star like B.J. Foster make the most out of that this year. Um, I think that's one thing that has really hurt Texas is our inability to turn guys that seem like strong five stars that we've failed to develop them, failed to put them in the NFL, failed to make them difference makers, whether on offense or defense. If we can get BJ Foster there, I think that gives a lot of credibility to the staff in case there's already not enough for many players or for many uh, recruits right now Um, to see a guy like BJ Foster, take that next step and be a, be a guy who sort of blows up, has a big year and finds himself in the NFL draft would be would be huge um, for the direction that this staff is trying to go. And I think that actually connects to what you were talking about earlier about Texas having issues, you know, creating a consistent pass rush because that's the best help that you could give any secondary player, right? Like if they have um, a defensive line or a front seven that's just creating havoc, creating tackles for loss and sacks and creating balls that are getting tipped or thrown away, like, that makes the secondary's job so much easier. Like, uh, if you remember in 2017, I guess, um, where it looked like Deshaun Elliott was just picking off, uh, you know, all these random balls that kind of came in his way, well, I, I mean, that that was not just luck, you know? He had a very good defensive line that um, held the great Puna Ford, creating a lot of... Um, basically forced errors that the defense was able to capitalize on and we've been missing that since then and if Kwiatkowski can bring that back I think that'll go a long ways towards helping the secondary um, get back to the level that uh, we've been hoping for for the past 10-15 years all right enough about the depth chart here we have a fucking game to play this Saturday Tux a game a real game not against ourselves in the newly refat or renovated DKR Texas Memorial Stadium 
Campbell Williams Field. The south end zone will be complete, air quotes on that one. Uh, it'll look pretty, I'm sure. Inside, I have my doubts, is going to be finished. But it's going to look pretty. It's going to look real cool. It's going to be loud in there. I think people are going to be excited to be back after a year of not really getting to be out there uh, with the team in the stands, getting to cheer on the Longhorns. We got the Louisiana, uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns out of Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, which I believe was one of the towns that sort of got a little bit lucky with the pass that Hurricane Ida uh, took in Louisiana. Thoughts are with anyone struggling with that stuff right now. But we, we got a game to play. They're coming to town, upset Iowa State in week one of 2020, which admittedly has a bit of an asterisk between 2020, also another asterisk because Matt Campbell, for whatever reason, doesn't understand the state of the month of September. Great coach, not great in September for whatever reason. Louisiana beats Iowa State last year. Their only loss comes to Coastal Carolina. They're a consistently solid team. Won a bunch of games, had a bunch of games, admittedly, that didn't go nearly as well as that Iowa State game, playing one-score games against a bunch of their fellow Sunbelt teams. So what, what, what's the expectation? I think no one, no one in Texas fandom wants another 2017 Maryland game to start Steve Sarkeesian's tenure at Texas, right? Oh, no, of course not, which that was a game we were there for, and you had a horrible nightmare about Tom Herman sucking before that game, and guess what? It came true. But anyway... Um, I think from Louisiana, you're going to expect some pretty solid ball. Uh, just, I would say the only weakness they have is on the offensive and defensive line. And if we can kind of dominate them on that front, then we should handily win the game. Now, um, I understand that rushing defense is probably their biggest weakness, but it seemed like the, their pass defense was actually a pretty big strength of theirs. And... Uh, Iowa State just kept um, kind of not having success against that, as well as uh, Louisiana's passing offense, and you know just creating general unforced errors against Louisiana. They they seem like the kind of team that's going to just be there to capitalize on your mistakes if you make any. However, as a result of their play style, they're not going to exactly take you to the woodshed, and. It just reminds me so much of watching Tom Herman at um, at Houston. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a game where if Texas does what we hope they definitely don't do and manages to lose this game, it's going to feel like one. It's going to be one where Louisiana's margin of victory is not going to feel ma- or is not going to look massive on paper, but it's going to feel like it was a massive blowout, regardless. But like like you said, run defense not a strength. Uh, they were ranked, I think, 88th in the country last year, which was behind CU and K-State both. And we both know what Bijan Robinson did to them. So I think that's, as we expect, is going to be the focus uh, of, of the offensive game plan for Texas is going to be Bijan Robinson and then the next play, Bijan Robinson, and then probably the next play, Bijan Robinson, and hopefully after those three plays, we're in the end zone. I mean, are, are you saying it's going to take three to four plays for Bijan to score I think you need more Kool-Aid I mean he, he got a little tired this is like the fifth drive and he's been running 80 yard scores all day already so I, I'm gonna say fifth drive he's probably a little burned out it's gonna take him three attempts to get in the end zone rather than just one or two okay uh, or or we just hand off the ball to Roshan and Keelan Robinson I'm more than happy to do that 
Yeah. I mean, that'd be really good. I think this will be uh, a, a good way to sort of ease in for the the running uh, game. Both of the, or both of the running backs. I'm so used to there only being two, but now it sounds like we have three legitimate options. Like you said, Kylan Robinson or Keelan Robinson. I don't know. I can't fucking pronounce shit right now. Uh, Roshan Johnson, Bijan Robinson, obviously. It's going to be a good way to ease them back in before we play Arkansas, see what they have. I, I think this will be good. I, I'm I'm looking forward to a big game from the the running game, especially with it being Hudson Card's first start. I think that's going to be extra emphasis uh, on top of what was already expected, even if it was Casey Thompson, who was going to be our starting quarterback. So, uh, yeah, I... Big game there, um, but I don't know where I'm going with that. Tux, well, your turn. Looks like uh, both of the quarterbacks will be playing, according to Steve Sarkeesian, but Sark doesn't mention the context for Casey Thompson playing, um, so I'm not expecting, like, Casey to get the, uh, you know, several drives unless Hudson Card really sucks. Um, but I- I'm just hoping to see some level of consistency and good play from the offense Um, because I I think we can expect some solid play from the defense there's a lot of very good starters there on the defensive line some experienced guys coming back at linebacker and safety and cornerback so I'm I think the defense will be all right what I'm mainly looking for is can the offense actually like adhere to the all gas no breaks philosophy can they actually just decide you know what we're we're just gonna take it to Louisiana and then actually show us the um the the mindset put to work. Yeah, Tux, if we can make it through our entire game without having to mention the words uh three score curse that we had that you and I talked about seemingly constantly with Tom Herman, I, I will consider that alone, uh knock on wood for all the use cases where it doesn't work out that way. Um I will consider that a positive if we don't have to worry about, oh, shit, we're up 21. We're completely fucked now. We're going to give it all away. If if we continue to lay on the gas, all gas, no breaks, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing I'm looking for out of this offense. Yeah, and uh, I'm willing to see um, just just a good victory. Uh, this is a very good team. Like, the uh, Maybe not very good, but still a top 25 team. And I think it's a well-deserved top 25 ranking too. So um, it, it's really like a matter of, is Sark going to be able to capitalize on all the inherent advantages that Texas has over Louisiana? And just, like I said, uh, adhere to the philosophy, right? Um, keep going with all gas, no breaks. Uh, or is is it going to take a little while to, to get up to speed for for Sark, what's going to be the situation? Um, unfortunately, this is going to be a a game where people are going to um, have a lot of hot takes and a lot of uh, wildly different reactions, um, regardless of the result that Texas has. And so, um, I, I think it's it, it's it's going to be a very interesting game just because uh, of all the possibilities that could happen because Louisiana is a good opponent that Sark is opening against. Yeah, I guess that's another goal for me coming out of this is that I don't have a drunk Kirk Herbstreet in the fucking, like, in the limo or whatever he's got with Desmond Howard and Chris Fowler or whatever. I do not 
want them to be breaking down like, oh, this is what Texas, blah, blah, blah. This is why Texas is never going to blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear any of that shit from him after this game. I just want to get out of it. Honestly, I don't even... Like, I want it to be a solid win. At this point, I just want it to be a win. I'm going into this game. I'm expecting a win. I'm not going to be shocked by a loss. But God, it would be so much nicer to start 1-0 rather than 0-1 with a new coaching staff. Um, I think with that... Rather than go any deeper into Louisiana and pretend like we know anything super intricate, let's just jump ahead to the uh, the predictions part of this. Uh, we've got the spread is Texas minus 8. The over-under is 58, which seems like a lot of points. But Tux, what, what are you thinking? What's your prediction for the score for this game? Uh, so I have Texas winning 30-24. to 24. Keeps within one score, which Louisiana normally does. And I think this offense takes a little bit of time to get going. Like, as in, you know, maybe they have success, but it doesn't quite show up on the scoreboard. So maybe Dicker gets a little extra work. And, um, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you. The over-under seems pretty high. Yeah, and I I think I'll kind of agree with you. We're not wildly different. I have Texas scoring one more point. Texas 31, Louisiana 21. Uh I stretch it outside of that spread of Texas minus eight. I think that's enough. It might be something where Texas sort of puts it away with a late field goal or a late touchdown to really stretch that to a 10-point deficit for Louisiana. But I'm expecting the defense to play well. I'm not expecting the offense to just go absolutely crazy on a defense that we know is pretty solid. Um, though we'll see what I say in my hot takes here uh, based on what I put down on the Google Doc here. But I think... I think things will be generally positive coming out of this game, and I think everyone will be feeling relatively good about the Steve Sarkeesian hire uh, with a win over what, if nothing else, we know to be a solid Louisiana team. Yeah, and the week after this is going to be a very good opponent as well, or certainly an opponent that's a tough out. So I'm hoping that um, they don't really have to dig into their bag of uh, tricks too deep for this game like it's like it's literally just you know hand the ball off to Bijan and he scores and okay we call it a call it a day we don't need to do much more you know yeah that'd be great I think every coach especially Sark would prefer to be able to put as little on tape as possible for a rivalry game with Arkansas as as, whenever they can so so, yeah if, if we can do a lot with Bijan just doing really basic things with the offense against a stout team like Louisiana, that would be great. But I think to a certain degree, Sark understands that it's important to to get off on the right foot. So whatever it takes to dig in, find that gear that wins us the game is, is what Sark's going to do. And I, I have faith that as far as designing the offense, he's smart enough to put in enough wrinkles that it's going to trip up uh, Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks in week two regardless of what happens in this game. That's all I want to see. So hot takes. Tux, I'll let you go first again, as is tradition uh, on this podcast. If we're going to be overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcasters, we got to have some hot takes. Tux, what is your hot take for Texas against Louisiana? My hot take is pretty simple. I'm just going to keep it easy, man. Uh, Texas has two rushers over 100 yards. So are you saying, obviously, one of those is Bijan. I don't right. think anyone's going to argue with you there. Who's the second one? 
That could be Roshaw. That could be uh, Keelan Robinson. Uh, maybe it's uh, Jordan Whittington taking a couple, you know, s- sweet passes or something deep. Um, but no, I'm leaving that one open. Going to leave that open. Not going to get too specific with the hot take then. Right. All right. So I'm going to say we, we spent a good chunk of time in this episode talking about how good, or at least how bad the Louisiana rush defense is, whereas comparatively their pass offense is pretty good. I'm going to say for my hot take, fuck the Louisiana pass defense. Fuck you, la la, and everything that they're coming back with here. Hudson Card, redshirt freshman, comes into the game, first career start. He's throwing for 325 and one of the scores. We've got three other touchdowns to go around. We can give those to the ground game. But one one touchdown coming from Hudson Card, 325 through the air. He's going to have a big day. And I think he's going to uh, give us a lot of faith that we're in good hands moving forward for the next 11 games. That sounds pretty great to me. Who do you think catches that touchdown? I'm going to say Cade Brewer catches the touchdown, but I think... Xavier Worthy has a big impact in this game. I know we talked about him at length earlier in the show. I'm going to say Xavier Worthy also has a big day. He could, short of calling it a true hot take, he could hit 100 yards in his first career game. Uh, so look look for Card to be looking for him deep, especially if Bijan is having success on the ground like I anticipate he will. I can dig it. Well... Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast. I'm sure y'all are as excited as we are that college football is finally back. We can't wait to see everyone this weekend at DKR. You can find all of us, me, Tux, Noah, at the Longhorn Nation tailgate, our Longhorn Nation tailgate off of Reddit, which you should definitely check out on the subreddit. Make some donations, all excess donations that don't go directly towards funding the subreddit tailgate, whether that's food, whether that's equipment and supplies, all of that, I believe, from talking with Mr. Will Bazer on a computer. Those will be going to relief charities for Hurricane Ida. I believe they're talking about million, maybe two million people down in Louisiana without power, at least one person dead. Hopefully that number does not continue to rise much higher than that. Um but putting that money towards relief charities, a great cause. So even if we don't use it to buy more beer, more alcohol for the tailgate, a uh, great cause to donate to. Hopefully we see you guys out there. Um, make sure you hit us up with your hot takes before, during, after the Louisiana game. 512-655-9038 for the Fire Steve Sarkeesian hot take line. Leave a voicemail or text message us. Let us know your thoughts about the game, how things are going, how they went, how they should go, whether or not we need to fire Steve Sarkeesian at the end of the first quarter, anything. Just just let us know what's going on. Uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at, at the FSS Podcast. Follow us for more off-pod content. Give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing, good or bad. We'll only listen to the good, but you can still tell us bad things and yell into the void. Uh, Tux. Do you have any final thoughts for the good people who are, for whatever reason, still listening to this horribly long outro? No, I, I just want to see a see a good game and a good beatdown. Hook them. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it. We'll see you on the other side of the Louisiana game. And as Tuck said before, hook them. Hook them.